Welcome to the APAS Educational Group Podcast with host Andrew Pass, founder and CEO of APAS. Hi, Megan. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. It's good to have you. Um, so, Megan, you are the content area director for career and technical education at APAS Educational Group. What exactly does that mean? A lot of things. Um, it means that I oversee all of the content development for the particular field of career and technical education. And the ages of the students could range anywhere from middle and high school, who could perhaps be enrolled in career and technical education programs in their school or in a local organization. They also include higher ed students, and I work with clients to find out different content projects that they would like for our associates to work on. I help the client to develop the project, and I help our associates to meet the client's needs by creating content and editing and revising and providing quality assurance and quality checks and deliver wonderful content products. So when you use the word content, what kinds of content are you actually creating? We create either digital content through the format of blended learning programs that might be posted on a client's learning management system. We sometimes include digital content directly onto a client platform. We also create printed content. So we may uh, develop lessons, lesson plan resources, full courses. They might be delivered to the client in a Word document or a PDF document, and they would be delivered from a face-to-face instructional perspective. And... When it comes to course development, what do you consider the most important aspects of developing a course? There's a lot of important, very important aspects. If I had to pick one, it would be knowing the learner. You have to have a sense of who the audience is going to be for the instruction. And if you don't have a clear vision, for who that audience is in terms of what prior knowledge they might have, in terms of their background, in terms of the experiences they've had in their life, what they may be in need of, uh, skill deficits. If you don't have a sense for that, it is very difficult to develop engaging learning for them. So you've got to know your audience. That's, that's my, my number one aspect. So why is it so important to know your audience when you're developing your content? I'll give you an example. If I was going to develop a calculus course, isn't it fair to say that a calculus is calculus is calculus and the content needs to be taught is the same content regardless of where it's being taught so the student is kind of irrelevant? I would, I would disagree. In, of course, calculus 
is quite a concrete subject with little interpretation, but I really feel, and this is just my, my personal opinion, so, and a little bit about my background, I taught middle school, uh, middle school science, so I, I really feel like when a student learns, there's a meaning-making process that's happening. So content is content is content, but for the student learning the content, it is unique to that individual student. Only they can make connections. You know, inside their brain, they're you know, developing their schema, they're connecting things that they already knew, and they're adding in new information. So you have to connect with the learner on a personal level so that they can make new meaning from new content that you're presenting. Can you say a little bit more about what that meaning making no pun intended, but means? Meaning making is that moment when the light bulb goes off for the student. So I think we all can relate for you know various subjects in our life. There's times when you know, it's late at night, you're reading the textbook, you're reading and you're reading and you realize you've gone over three or four pages and you have absolutely no idea what you've just read. You know, it's, it's kind of going in one ear and out the other. I feel like meaning-making is that deep connection with material that makes you remember it forever. So I know I personally, I have some vivid memories from my schooling. I will never forget my third-grade teacher. I can remember where I was standing in the classroom, and she said to me, no, dessert has two S's. Desert has one. You'd rather have two desserts than two deserts. And you know, there's moments that you have where you're like, oh, and you just remember something forever. It, it sticks with you. You have mastery over the material. And I feel like if you can help facilitate those moments so that students are really engaged and they can take that content, whatever it may be, calculus, engineering, government, business, electrical conduction, whatever the topic is, they are able to turn to their neighbor and explain it in their own terms. Um, and they're not just memorizing, they're not just reciting, they're demonstrating that they really can apply the information, they can teach it to someone else. They've made, they've made it their own. So, Megan, you're developing courses or overseeing people who are developing courses in a contextless situation, meaning you don't have actual students who are interacting with you. So how do you think about the needs of the students that you just described from your contextless situation? One of my goals when I'm meeting with a client is to gain a deep understanding of who the end user will be for the content that we're developing. And sometimes it's a very small population. It might be written for one individual school district. And I can talk to some of the stakeholders in that district and understand the background. It does get difficult when we're developing content that might be applied across an entire state, across the entire country, it is a little bit more difficult when it's a broader audience. 
I think staying current with what's happening in education is helpful. If we were to develop something that was going to go out on the national level for a high school-aged audience, before we begin the work, I think we would definitely want to take the pulse. What's going on right now in high school education? What are the trends? What are the problems? What's going on in the media? Checking in to see what current research could be applied to that particular project to hook in the learner. So, Megan, don't we usually hire people who have the understanding and knowledge of working with students when we're looking for course writers? We do. Our associates have varied experiences from young, early childhood age students all the way up to the higher ed and adult learning community. And one of our qualifications when we screen our new associates is we look for candidates that have significant teaching experience that they can bring to their content writing. So, Megan, what would you say is the greatest challenge in writing an effective course? I think the challenges have changed rapidly with all of our recent changes to the digital classroom and to developing courses that are moving from the face-to-face platform into different online course delivery methods. So I think the biggest challenge is designing learning is active learning. Teachers got really good at learning how to create engaging lessons within the classroom. Teachers were able to get really good at developing engaging face-to-face lessons over time. And I feel like right now we're playing catch-up with the digital world and figuring out how can we make these courses engaging while they're digital. So if you had to give a strategy for how to do that, what would you say? I think it's important to know not only what the objectives are in terms of the content objectives, but the overall goal for the user. What is the new skill that you want your students to walk away with for a particular lesson? And then designing the lesson so that students are not just passively reading, but they're actually performing a task that is the goal. Um, And one way to do that is to create lessons that have a simulation feel to them. You're putting the student in the role of decision maker. They're using higher level thinking skills to make decisions and they're also learning as they're doing. Can you give us an example of a simulation? Sure. So if you wanted, talk about the corporate world. If you needed to ensure that all of your employees understood a new protocol, in your course, you would design a situation that they might read about. It might be a sample email on the screen, or it might be an animation of a conversation between two employees. And the user has to actually make a decision. They have to solve a problem by selecting one of several choices. And it forces the user to stop and think and make decisions based on what they've learned. So it makes it more engaging for the user, and it also helps to give data 
to the instructors, you can see, you know, what percentage of your students clicked on this choice. You can also identify misinformation that your students might have. So placing the learner as decision maker is a really effective strategy. You just used the word data. How important is data when it comes to developing courses? I think it depends on what you want to do with the data. I think if the person designing the courses, you know, if, if the end client has a, a goal and they want to be able to measure the effectiveness of using new technology, or they want to identify mastery, they want to know a certain percentage of the population who took the course scored a certain percent, I think data can be very important. I think it's important to analyze the effectiveness of the course and to track student progress. Dare I say, Megan, that there's a difference between looking at data from the perspective of how effective a course is and looking at data to see what a student, what an individual specific student understands. As a course developer, you're not really interacting with individual specific students. So that data is sort of outside your range of influence. What you're concerned with is the data on the course, because that's what you're influencing and creating. Is that a correct statement? Yes, that is a correct statement. And I think that understanding different pathways that a learner might take through a course, you can build in remediation so that in the event that a student demonstrates that they don't understand a topic, the course, if we're talking about a digital course, um, the course may lead the user to additional supplementary information, but not every user would need to go there. It would be customized, and data would help in that decision-making. I'm particularly interested in what you're saying with regards to the course being customized and not every student needing to take or learn everything. Because one of the other departments in APAS Educational Group at the present time is actually developing a sample on adaptive learning. Are you referring to adaptive learning and what you're talking about right now? I am. What are your thoughts on adaptive learning? Won't it make it much more complicated for teachers to interact with students if a large percentage of the courses that are sold are adaptive? I don't think it will make it more difficult for teachers. I think it might assist teachers tremendously. Say more. Well, when I was a teacher a long time ago, before we were using a lot of digital products, I had a heterogeneous classroom, meaning I had all different levels of readers and math students. And I taught science. So science involves a lot of content area reading and a lot of math. And I had a lot of students. So I had to figure out how am I going to engage everyone every day? I had a folder system. And every student had a folder. And each day I would tuck different levels and different customized materials into their individual folders. But it was a lot of work. I had to make sure I had all the materials, I had to write the names, I had to stuff them in the folders. So essentially adaptive learning is the same concept, but it's much more streamlined for the teacher. You can assign 
different materials to different students based on their performance. Okay, well, Megan, one of the things that I'm a little bit concerned with is this. As adaptive learning becomes more and more common, and content developers develop the content that students engage with in the classroom, are teachers still going to be necessary? And I know that sounds like a ridiculous question, but think about it seriously with all of the artificial intelligence that's being developed and all of the different routes through particular classes and even competency-based education. Are we losing the importance of human teachers? Well, my personal opinion is no. And my reason for that is I think at the heart of that meaning-making process, I think that all students, regardless of their age and their level, they, they need a connection. They need some kind of personal connection. And that may happen in a face-to-face -face course. It also could happen in an online and digitally delivered course. There are lots of different opportunities for online interaction, for collaboration, um, you know, documents in the cloud where people can still do a group project. You can do screencasting and video conferencing to do presentations. I do feel that part of the learning process is connecting both with an instructor on a, a teacher-student relationship level and with classmates. But that's, that's my personal opinion. I don't know. Other people may have, have different views, but I, I think that at the heart of human nature, people want to have a connection. And they want to share their learning and be able to reflect on what they learned with other humans. Megan, I've been asking a lot of questions. And I think all of the, our whole discussion really revolves around what's an effective course writer? And in order to understand what's an effective course writer, of course, you need to understand what's an effective course. And I think in the last 20 minutes or so, we've been discussing all of that. But our time's almost up. And I want to ask you, are there any questions that you think should be asked during this discussion that haven't been asked yet? putting me on the spot, Andy. Let, let me, I, I'm, I'm thinking here. I think, and I don't know if this is a question that I could have you answer right now, but if I were developing a course, I would want to know what is the student goal? What is the learner goal? I feel like the, the learner as the stakeholder needs to have a voice in the process, which is difficult depending on what material you're developing. But I think asking the learner what would you like to learn or how would you like to learn it? You know, and, and if you can't ask the learner directly, you can at least try to put the learner hat on and view the material through their perspective. Having a deep understanding of that would be a question. I think that's amazing. I'll never forget one of my first years of teaching. The principal was sitting in my classroom observing. And at the end of a lesson, I said to my students, so why do you think this is important? It was just kind of a question that I came up with spur of the moment. And afterwards, the principal told me that he thought that that question was really a great question. Because if there aren't student goals, then students aren't necessarily engaging. And if students aren't necessarily engaging, then they're not learning. So let me ask you one more question. And I was once called the guy with the last question. So it might go on for a few minutes, but hopefully not. 
But the next question that I have for you is, what if an apathetic student is forced to take content and take a course and doesn't really have a goal for the course other than to complete it and get the credit for it? How do you help somebody develop a goal for taking a course when they begin the course without such a goal? It's a really good question. I feel like one approach to that would be to get at the heart of the apathy. I would say from all my years of working with middle schoolers who are a unique population, I have always said, you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today I'm going to be really difficult. Today, I'm going to just drive everybody I know crazy and not listen in school. I mean, nobody wakes up with that goal. But I think the apathetic student, I think that stems from a feeling of disengagement. And it could be for a lot of reasons. They might not feel like they have a connection with their classmates or their teacher. They may feel that no one is listening to what they have to say. So therefore, if no one cares, why should I care? They may have gaps in prior knowledge. They may be missing some really big pieces that are blocking their understanding. So I think trying to break down some of the barriers and really be sure that there's multiple entry points to help a student feel connected to the material. Which, to just go back to something that we said a few minutes ago, is there going to be a need for teachers in the future? I would argue that what you're articulating right now needs to be done by a human being. You can't have a computer program analyzing a student to understand why they're not able to engage. You can have a computer program that's engaging, but if a student is not attempting to engage, then you really need a human to help make that happen, I would argue. Do you agree? I do agree. I think teachers, I I think someone in a teacher role is critical for the instruction process. I have to tell you, Megan, that we've been talking for now about 25 minutes. And as you know, this is the first podcast that APAS Educational Group is doing. And I just think we've covered so many interesting topics in this one brief conversation that I'm really excited about producing multiple podcasts as time goes on. And I wanted to thank you very much for participating in this dialogue. Thank you. It was wonderful talking about such an important topic. Thank you very much. And um, we look forward to hosting another podcast soon. Thank you for listening to this APAS podcast. APAS Educational Group partners with organizations to develop customized content. Our more than 1,100 associates include writers, editors, subject matter experts, instructional designers, artists, and production team members. APAS develops courses, lesson plans, assessment items, textbooks, passages, learning objects, and more. When we partner with an organization, our goal is to bring our clients' visions to life. We take your specifications and objectives, make them our own, and become your back office content development center.